Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is sponsored by Alexandria and Alfred Shehebar, dedicated in honor of the birth of their daughter Abigail. Mazal Tov, Mabruk, Hazakubaruch. Thank you for bringing us uh, the beautiful Mazal of naming her this morning. It was very, very special. She should grow to make you and her, the rest of her sisters and the entire community proud. And Be'ezrat Hashem, uh, you'll have only Nahat uh, from all of your children, Me'atav Adolam, and your grandchildren as well. Azaku Baruch. Breakfast in the class also dedicated in loving memory of Joel Rishti, Alava Shalom, Li'ilui Nishmat Yosef Ben Le'ah, sponsored by the Rishti family. Be'ezrat Hashem will also do a hashkava after the, uh, the class uh, for him as well. Breakfast in the class is sponsored by Gavin Ismail in celebration of his brother Jesse Esmael's birthday. He's now 12 years old, Asher, Asher Ben Rachel. What a beautiful birthday present to give to your 12-year-old brother to uh, dedicate a Torah class uh, in his honor. That's just magnificent. Okay, Rabotai, I want to share with you a beautiful lesson uh, from, from our parasha this week. You know, we, uh, we witness in this week's parasha what someone is capable of doing for money and for honor. And it's easy for us always to look at Bil'am and say, what a rasha, look at this guy willing to curse the Jewish people for money, for honor. He's a terrible person. But my friends, I'd like to share that actually what Bil'am did is not all that much different from what many of us do. When we make decisions based on money and honor or money and power, you're at the office, you make a decision, you cut corners, it's not exactly the most honor, you know, the most uh, honorable thing to do. It's not the most straightforward. You call your lawyer and you say, could I get away with it? Is the language, you know, fungible, etc., etc.? What's motivating your decision? Money. Um, you're in a position where if you say something, you might be embarrassed. You know, it's not so nice, it's not so comfortable, but you know it's the right thing to do. What's motivating your decision either to say something or not to say something? Honor. So it is incredibly important to be aware that there are things in our, in our lives that govern the decisions and the choices we make actually that perhaps are not, we are not as aware of as we, could be, as we could be. And I wonder at what stage, and this is really my thought that I'd like to develop with you today, at what stage did Bil'am stop realizing that he was not in control of the decisions he was making? You know, there comes a time in our life when we make a decision enough times based on money, enough times based on honor, enough times based on comfort, enough times based on pleasure, that we stop realizing that it's not us anymore that's making the choice between right and wrong. It's this in inherent or this internal uh, drive that we've allowed to develop and become stronger uh, and that now that Yetzirah has been given the keys to the castle and we're no longer actually in control of these decisions. We are incapable of making decisions ourselves. So what Bil'am does now, almost by second nature, he's sitting there beating the donkey, he's so hell-bent on getting to where he needs to get to, to do what he needs to do, he's not even aware of the fact that he's standing up against the angel of God. Uh, I'd like to perhaps share with you um, the, the flip side of, of, how, of how our Chachamim perhaps would have dealt with this differently. You know, uh, the Yerushalmi brings a, be a beautiful and moving story. There was a rabbi whose name was Shimon ben Shetach. 
and he worked very, very hard, and he would, uh, his job was in, in, in uh, making linen. The process of making linen is a very arduous task. It's, it requires, you know, cutting the flax, beating the flax until it separates, combing the flax out so that the fibers become thin. I bet you didn't know all this went into your linen shirt or your linen uh, your, you know, pants. All you're thinking about is about how easily it creases. But linen, making linen is a very difficult process, especially without machines. Shimon ben Shetach's Parnassah came from making linen. So hours and hours each day, he would do the back-breaking work of doing this. And the Yerushalmi relates that his students, they had pity on him. They said, you know, Rabbi, it's so hard for you to do this work. You're putting in so many hours. You could be doing so many better things. We're going to buy you, we're going to chip in and buy you a donkey. It was the old version of the Rolex they would give the guy at the end of his job, you know, at the end of his workforce. They bought him a donkey, okay? They kicked the tires. The donkey looked like a good donkey. Gets good mileage to the gallon. Hasn't done that many miles on it, right? They buy the donkey, but the donkey's filthy. They bring it back. Before they give the rabbi the donkey, they clean off the donkey. And whilst they're cleaning the donkey, they realize that under the dirt and under the grime in his matted fur, there was a little thing, a little pouch tied to his neck. And in the pouch was a precious stone, a diamond. They come back to the rabbi and they say, wow, unbelievable. And they give a biracha. They say, blessed is God that brings you know, riches and brings you know, uh, success to those that he loves. The rabbi said, thank you very much. Does the seller know that the donkey has a diamond tied to his neck? So they say, rabbi, obviously not. He wouldn't have sold us the donkey. He says, if the seller doesn't know, they said the seller's not Jewish. The halakha is if someone lost an object, you know, <laughs> if they're Jewish, you have to return it. Why? Because if you, if you lost an object, they would have to return it to you. So reciprocity requires... That if I'm going to return, if you're going to return mine, I have to return yours. Whereas when it comes to uh, the object, the lost object of a non-Jewish person, we don't have that obligation. So they said, isn't that the halakha? And the rabbi said, what do you think I am? Barburin? You think I'm a, I'm a barbarian? That's what he says to his students. I know the halakha. I know it's mutar. You think I'm a barbarian? I, did I pay? If we didn't pay for the... The stone, we paid for the donkey, we get a donkey. The stone goes back. They take the stone back, they bring it to this, uh, this non-Jewish seller. His name, he was an Aravi or a Sirkai, depending on the Nusach and the Gemara, but a non-Jewish guy. They give him the stone back, they said, you didn't realize when you sold us the donkey, this was tied to the neck. The man is so moved, he says, Baruch Elohim, blessed is the God, Shel Shimon ben Shetach. Blessed is the God of Shimon ben Shetach. According to another uh, uh, Nusach, he said, Baruch Elaha de Yehudain. Blessed is the God of the Jews. Now, our Chachamim say, let's stop for one second, pause the story for one second. Why'd they buy the donkey? It wasn't just they bought a donkey and he got a windfall. The donkey, the purpose of the donkey was that the rabbi was working back-breaking labor. That the rabbi was working all this time that he could have been spending on better pursuits. How many classes, now if he could have retired on this, how many classes could he have given? How many mitzvot could he have done? How many people could he have, could he have advised? Or consoled? Or, <coughs> uh, what's it called? Or guided in difficult times? How many mitzvot could he have done if he would have just kept this item? And what did he gain? Let's look at the cost-benefit analysis. 
What did he, so to speak, lose? And what did he gain? He gained that for one second, a person who wasn't even Jewish said, blessed is the God of Shimon ben Shetach. We see from Shimon ben Shetach's decision two things, I believe. The first lesson is that no matter how much good will come from doing something wrong, a lot of good doesn't kosher your wrong. If you've done something wrong already, now how do you fix that? You do as much good as you can if you can't rectify that process. But to go into something and say, I'm going to do this and then kosher it by giving extra tzedakah, I'm going to do this, but kosher it, because then I have all this extra time to study Torah. Your studying of Torah, don't do God any favors. He doesn't need you to break His laws in order to keep His laws. So Shimon ben Shetach says, what, you think I'm a barbarian? Even if the halakha is that it was okay for me to do. But, but I have an opportunity here for Kiddush Hashem. And that's the right thing to do. And if that's the right thing to do, it doesn't matter how much good comes out of it. It does, it's, not, it's more appropriate, it's better to do the right thing. The second lesson we learn from the story, Rabotai, is that more important than all of those things is Kiddush Hashem. We just said in the tefillah, Baruch Elokeinu Shibira'anu Lichvodo. Blessed is our God that created us for His honor. God doesn't need your mitzvot. What does God need from you, so to speak? He needs that His honor should be upheld in this world. That when people look at you, you say, there goes somebody who is an upstanding, who is a righteous person. Who's a, that religious person, his religion, look at what it makes him do. Look at what it makes him stand for. If Kiddush Hashem is the greatest mitzvah, then we understand as well that Chilul Hashem, conversely, is the worst mitzvah. And we actually know that to be the case. So Rabotai, think to yourselves, I'm doing a lot of mitzvot in my day. I'm coming to the synagogue, waking up early, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. How much of my day is bringing honor to the ribono shel olam? Aside from the mitzvot that are between me and him, how many mitzvot are creating the possibility of Kiddush Hashem? And maybe I could be investing a little bit more time in mitzvot that bring honor to God's name. But Rabotai, the reason why I brought you to Shimon ben Shetach was not to learn only lessons about Kiddush Hashem and learn lessons about Hashavat Aveda. It's to recognize the difference between the rabbi and his students. Look at the students. What did the students say when they got the diamond? Wow, Baruch Elokim, blessed is God, right? That he takes care, he takes care and he, and he, uh, he brings right, riches to the righteous. They understood that the story, the purpose, the message in what was happening to them was that God takes care of the righteous. And Shimon ben Shetach understood that that was the wrong blessing to come from this story. The blessing was not supposed to come from his or his student's mouth about the windfall that they had. The blessing that was supposed to come from this story was the blessing that would come from the mouth of the Arab that sold them the donkey in the first place. How do you maintain... Uh, the position, the eyesight, the vision of the rabbi and not get caught up perhaps in the mistake of the students. And the answer is, Rabbi that it requires from us an element of focus that is sadly missing in most of our lives. Rav Nachman always used to teach in the Breslov world, they talk a lot about hitbodedut. Hitbodedut means meditation, 
spending time away. And they used to go into the fields and spend time by themselves. But it's not something that belongs to Breslov or to Hasidut. If you look in the writings of Ramchal from the 1500s, if you look at earlier writings in Judaism, we read a lot about this concept of spending quiet time, time alone, time on the side. We read in the Haftarah this week something remarkable. You know, Yiftach, it opens up in the Haftarah this past week. It said that his brothers saw that he was different. He was born, he was Ben Isha Zona. He was the daughter of, he was the son of a prostitute. The other sons of this father were from the regular marriage. When the father died and it came time to divvy up all the Yerusha, they said, you're not going to inherit with us. Get out of here. They chase him out of town. And the Pasuk says something very interesting. He goes to where? Anyone read the Haftarah this week? Did you pay attention? He goes to Eretz Tov. To a good land. That's a really interesting you, like, euphemism. He goes to a good land. What's this good land that he goes to? Has anyone here ever heard of a land called Eretz Tov? Now, there may or may not have been such a place. But I think the Pasuk is teaching us something unbelievable. When a person is in an environment where people look down on him, where people treat him negatively, cynically, they see him only as the son of Isha Zonah. That's not his fault. He didn't do that. That's something that it was a choice that his father made. But when people uh, look down on you, treat you differently, sometimes a person needs to go to, listen to the words, Eretz Tov, they need to visit, they need to go to a good place. And being in a place where he wasn't surrounded by that negative talk all the time allowed Yiftach, interestingly enough, look at his name. Yiftach means somebody that opens up. He was someone special that ultimately would save the Jews. He needed to be opened up, but instead they shut him down. So where's Eretz Tov for him? A place where all of this, it wasn't. And in that place, he thrives. Now he thrives in his own way. He thrives without having an education, without going to yeshiva, but he becomes the person he's supposed to become because he has a good place to go when there's a lot of noise. I remember when I was in yeshiva, so I had a good set of friends, I had a bad set of friends. I was friendly with everybody. That's the type of person I am. That's the, the type of person my parents raised me to be. If anyone knows my father, you'll know he's a very precious Jew. He sees everybody in the best of light. He, he loves them, he loves... So I tried to learn as much as I could from my dad. The challenge is when you're a young man in your formative years and you have good friends and you have bad friends, the bad friends seem to try to take you along with them and the good friends seem to try to take you along with them. But the challenge that I found was that I couldn't figure out what my own direction was, what my own desires were. When you're in the uh, surroundings of good people, that brings you to good places. But there's a danger even in being in the surroundings of good people. And that is that the choices that you're making are not yours, they're theirs. And the downside of that is when they depart or when you're not in their company, then all of a sudden all of your good character traits and decisions collapse because you become a product of that environment. So I created for myself, again, some things you just do intuitively. I didn't really even know what I was doing. There was a tree near my yeshiva in Edison that had uh, the prickly leaves on the side of it, but it was a giant tree. And I realized that if you pulled the branches aside on this tree, you could get under the thick uh, uh, leaves of the tree, and underneath the tree was all hollow. 
So I dragged a chair from the yeshiva into this tree and I would sneak off there with my coffee and I would spend five minutes a day just surrounded by this tree by myself, just thinking, thinking what I was, who I was, what I wanted. And I want to read you the words of Ramchal on the focus that's required for a person in order to be able to move forward in a beautiful way. Listen to these words uh, of the Ramchal. And I'm going to translate them from the Hebrew so don't, you don't need to worry uh, that you don't, uh, maybe if you don't read Hebrew perfectly. The Pasuk says as follows. The, the Ramchal says as follows. Haloha Adam, a man, Rov Yamav, most of his days, Choshev Machshavot Asakav, he is thinking about his business, what he needs to do. Vilama lo Yasim Levavo, why shouldn't he place his heart, his thoughts, Afilu Sha'achat, even maybe for an hour, for one short amount of time. Gam Lazot, Lachshov Machshevet Mamash, to think actual, true, important thoughts. Mahu, what is he? And why did he come to this world? What does the king of all kings want from him? What will he become? What will he be like in the end? This is the best medicine. The greatest and strongest medicine. That you could, that you could ever hope to find against the Yetzirah. What Ramchal, I think, is teaching us when he talks to us so powerfully of this time that a person has, he talks about this time that a person has to think and the time that he has to speak with God. Did any of you ever think of God like your best friend? That you chat with him, that you unload to him, that you discuss with him things that are going on in your life. Not just prayer. My rabbi always used to say, it's fascinating to note that it says that when God came to Abraham, he came, what did he do? To spend time with him. It doesn't just say that God came to heal him. It says that God came to spend time with him. And it's a fascinating thing to think this idea that a person could spend so much time doing mitzvot, but never take the time uh, to really understand where he's going or to chart a path or to recognize where he's failing and where he's succeeding, and to double down on his efforts in the, in the good areas, and perhaps take a little bit more care in the negative areas. I believe that Bilam was not a Rasha 24-7. I believe that there's not a single person who's a Rasha 24-7. What happens is we get into a habit or a path, and then we're acting, we're operating on autopilot. But my friends, the same logic dictates also that you are not a Sadiq 24-7. Because when you dug yourself into this path and you created these habits that are so powerful for yourself, those were great moments in your life. But now, you're not just reaping the benefits of those times, there's also a danger that you're just coming to shul like you're going to the gym. And that's a good habit that you have, but you're not switched on, you're not present, and therefore, you're not in the right state of mind. The danger of being in the wrong path is that you wind up becoming a Bil'am. But the danger of being in the right path is, of being in the right path in, in a habitual way, is that the person is not connected uh, to the source of what they're supposed to be doing. And therefore, the quality of their connection with God is not at the maximum that it could be. And I'd like to end with this. There was a, 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 a man working in Rav Baruch Ber's home. Rav Baruch Ber walks and he sees this guy and he says to him, you know, in Polish, he says, good morning. How do you say good morning? Dzień dobry. Good morning. 
The fellow turns around, he says, he answers him back. Rav Baruch Ber doesn't understand what he's saying. He comes closer to the guy. The guy says, he says in, in Yiddish, I'm a Jewish person. I'm Jewish. You don't have to speak to me in Polish. The guy has no kippah, no uh, sisi. Maybe there's tattoos on his arm. I don't know. Right? But he's a Jewish guy. So Rav Baruch Ber says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to insult you. Uh, you know, I just didn't know, think that you didn't realize that you were Jewish. Of course, I would have greeted you in the traditional Yiddish. The guy says, no, don't worry. You know, Rav Baruch Ber says, no, please, please forgive me. The man says, okay, I forgive you. The next hour, while the guy's working, Rav Baruch Ber pulls up a chair. He starts telling him about what it means to be a Jewish person. Avot, what Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov was like. How lucky we are to have received the Torah. By the end of this hour with the great sage of Baruch Ber, this man, he was in a very different place, you could imagine, uh, with relates to his Judaism. What I would give to have spent that hour working on the faucet of Rav Baruch Ber, listening to him tell me how special, how precious it is to be a Jew. At the end of the hour, the man feels elevated. He feels so excited. He's so happy he came. And Rav Baruch Ber says, please forgive me again for having done what I did to you, for having not recognized that you were Jewish and speaking to you as if you weren't. The man says, Rabbi, you have nothing. I already told you I forgive you. Why are you asking me again? Rav Baruch Ber said there was a safta grandmother who for many years didn't have children. Finally, she was blessed with a kid. When she was blessed with a child, as soon as the child was old enough, she took a ring and put it on the child's finger. And the child said, what is this? She said, this is the ring that I got from my grandmother, from my mother, who got from her. It's been in our family for many, many years. The child uh, guarded the ring, you know, but didn't really know its value. One day, the next door neighbor says, I'm having a simcha. Do you mind? You have a very nice ring. Could I wear it to my party? She says, sure. Well, her mother didn't have a lot of money. She figured it can't be so expensive. She lends her the ring. She gives it to the neighbor. The neighbor wears it. The thing comes back the next day. I'm so sorry. I had the party. I lost the ring. The, the, the girl says to her, she says, look, it's something I got from my grandmother. She doesn't have all that much money. I'm sure it's not worth more than a couple of dollars. Don't worry, I forgive you. The grandmother finds out that the ring is lost. She comes to her and she says, Rahi, do you understand what it was that was, that was generations in our family that, that was given from a great-great-grandmother? It was a priceless stone. It was so expensive. It's that The girl, she finally realizes the value of what she lost. She goes to the neighbor. She says, you know, funny story. Uh, actually, it wasn't such a cheap ring. It was very expensive. Do you mind if we take another look? They look around for it. They can't find it. The neighbor says, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I feel so terrible now. The woman says, but I already forgave you. The next door neighbor says, it's true that you forgave me. But when you forgave me, you thought it was a knockoff. You thought it was a cheap relic. You thought it was a piece of plastic. When you forgave me, you didn't realize the value of it. Now that you know the value, do you still forgive me? Rav Baruch Ber said to the plumber, now that you know the value, do you still forgive me? My friends, think about how differently our Judaism would look if we recognized its value every day, if we understood the value of a tefillah, of an amen, of an act of chesed, Bil'am becomes the person because he just loses sight of what he is and what he could become. If we spent a little bit of time each day focusing, talking to God, recognizing the value of everything that we do and everything that we could be, then we would find ourselves supercharged versions of ourselves becoming super Jews each in our own right. Be'ezat Hashem, we should be zochet to see growth in every area of our life. Baruch Hanele Olam.